Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD, where the doctor helps you unlock your full potential by equipping you with tools and knowledge in the areas of health, wealth, and wisdom, anchored in his experience as a business executive, a physician surveyor for the Joint Commission, a former mayor, and over 50 years of experience as a general surgeon. You've got questions, he's got answers. So let's get started. Here's Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD. Why did why did you and, and your wife decide to go? Were there any other reasons or was that the only factor? Well, we just had a heart for it. Okay. I know that, you know, at least in my particular case, although I didn't have to go through anything like that, I think God every day, you know, for my parents, you know, I was adopted. I was adopted as an infant, pretty much around the same age as, well, at least the process started around the same age as the one that, that we got five days after they were born. My my trajectory in life could have been totally different. I could have been another statistic sure. on one end, on the negative end. But Your experience was a positive one as a child with adopted parents. Oh, I... I didn't know that there was any difference. I, I, I didn't. Which is the ideal. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about any of that. You know, I can remember there's there was some person called a caseworker at the time. Right. I, it didn't it didn't dawn on me what that was all about. You know, it was just a the white woman that would come and uh-huh. see and talk with me and. Ask you if everything was okay and things yeah, problems and of that nature, and I was always determined to show her that I could read and I could write and I could, you know, okay. that and the other. I didn't think, you know, anything about it, and and that's how Ezel and George Hammonds were. They were, they just, you know, treated me like I was blood, you know, right. and which is better than some people who are blood treat their kids. Sure. Were you an only child? No, actually not. I have, well, they had a, a biological daughter, Rosalie. We call her Bootsy. She's still alive. Although she, Was she older or younger than you? She's older. She's older. She's older. Okay. She is, she's 80. And then she's dealing with diabetes and, oh, and, and she's on dialysis now. It's a matter of so it was just the two of you? No, it was myself. You, you know, she was, you know, out of the home and grown. I got it. But she would always come over. But I had a sibling, Anthony. He's younger. And and Myron, another sibling. He's He was about four or five months older than I was. He, he eventually was reunited with his mother. Okay. Anthony and myself, we were adopted. Anthony is the opposite of me. <laughs> okay. Sure. For whatever, you know, whatever genetics he, he has, he, he's the whole, he's the opposite of me. In, in what way? Well, well, let's, uh, let me frame it this way. When I uh, joined the Air Force, which was, you know, a first for anyone, you know, in, in the family to go that way. And and there was a lot of reasons why I even went that way. And I'll share that a little bit later. I you know I had to get security clearances, and so the government came out and they were interviewing people in the community and my family and and my and, you know and Anthony he had, he had issues. 
And so, you know, I got the clearance and everything, but I couldn't really associate with him because, okay. because of the people that he associated with. And so, you know, he, that was him. He, you know, he, he, he chose a, a different, you know, lifestyle. Okay. And so, you know, there was always something up, always something going on and something negative. Negative. Yes. Okay. So what, what did you learn from all that? I mean, just, just, just that phase of your life. Hopefully you'll come back pretty soon. There we okay, go. Okay. There you are. <laughs> But so what, what what did you learn from all that? What what did what was your takeaway? Well, just focus on what I need to do because he uh, he's going to do whatever he is, he's going to do, and they my parents didn't want to really show a whole lot of partiality between us two. So whenever he got involved with something, you know, it was kind of looked at. It, it could have been either one of you that did uh, that. Uh, and it probably could have been, but it really wasn't in most cases there. And so I I was determined to just focus on what I needed to do and being the best that I can be, you know, and whatever that was. And and I was quite I had a very full, you know, childhood. Very, very full. And you know, I was brought up in the church. My father was the chairman of the deacon board and 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 I usually ran in his circles there. And and that's how I kind of got into a number of different official and unofficial leadership type of, you know, situations there mm -hmm. by running with him. But at, in, and in one case there, I was the what we call the liaison for the Sunday school. I've always been involved with the Sunday school in one way or the other. Interesting. And my, my job, and I was, I couldn't have been no more than 11 or 12 or so. I was in charge of collecting all the money from all of the, the classrooms. Okay. As well as making sure that all of the uh, teachers had their, their literature. And so that's quite a bit of responsibility for an 11 year old. Oh, most definitely. And, and I really can't recall how I actually got into it. It was, I, I think, Especially as it relates to to leadership, there I find that it kind of starts with a question, like, "What if this was that way, or that was this way?" And then you take the initiative to to do whatever that is, and someone appreciates or or, or likes whatever that is, and they let you continue. <laughs> and okay. so I think I. I went into the Sunday school office with uh, Sister Ferris. I still remember like it was yesterday. And I just started helping her. We were talking and I just started helping her count the money, you know, from the Sunday school. It was all on her. And she seemed like she was just overwhelmed. You know, she never had, you know, time for anything or whatever, you know. And so I, what has become a famous phrase, let me help you with that. <laughs> and so, Interesting. And so, was this a small church, a large church? or a, It was a rather what? large church. It was about, I guess, around the same size as St. Stephen. Okay, that, that, that's pretty uh, well. But a lot of firsts, because this was back in the 70s. And... Okay. The church started in a in a high school, not started, but one of the locations that we were that I can recall 
you know, actually, there's a lot of parallels with uh, St. Stephen because it also was uh, was a product of splitting. Okay. They had split from Mount Enon in Dayton. Right. This is all in, in Dayton. What, what city is this? Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Home of the Wright Brothers. Okay. University of Dayton Flyers. Okay. Correct setter. And thus you went into the Air Force. Yeah. Oh, oh also the home uh, of Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Right, right. Okay. Make, makes sense. And how was school for you? Junior high, high school, elementary, whatever you remember? It was all wonderful. And I think I was going down that path there too, as long as school life. It was it was all wonderful. I I was, you know, probably a BC student and a student, you know, in history. I know that because that okay. that's something that I embrace that in current events and that sort of thing in, in English and you know and that sort of thing. No problems there. I studied music right right around twelve. You know, I was what they would call a a classic trained, a classically trained trombonist. Well, yeah, because I, I, I could play Beethoven and, and okay, show. Okay, no, no, I understand. I, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Okay, all right. I was in the concert concerto band, as well as the jazz lab band, as well as the marching band. This is at high school? This No, actually, this was prior to high school. I, it, it carried on into high school. This was when I was... A lot of things happened when I was 12 and 13 years old. We, okay. I was kind of, me and a partner of mine were the first and the youngest to ever have a chair, what they call a chair, in the band of the marching band of the senior high school. So you were in middle school at the time? Yes. Okay. We, were, we weren't even freshmen. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and we we played those horns. And we actually formed a band. This is the 70s. So, and, and I think I alluded to it in another interview with one of our brothers at the church. He was talking about the people in Gary, Indiana. And right. I, I shared with him, right. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. And that's the home of all kinds of bands, you know, from Zap, Roger and the Human Body, Slave, Dayton, Platypus, Lakeside. All of these group, you know, at Lakeside it is famous for the Fantastic Voyage. Come okay. up, those guys. Anywho, you know, there was just a lot of music going on. And so we formed a band ourselves, and we used to pattern ourselves like Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, <laughs> and, and brass construction and mandrill. Okay. Uh, we had electric tape, you know, reflective tape on us, and we'd come in from the back with cowbells, and then we'd get on stage and we'd play, and we'd win these talent shows and and that sort of thing. There, and the fact of the matter is, we could actually play and read music. We wrote okay. and, and and did the music, and we did that for the for the marching band as well, under the direction of Clarence Harold Brown out of Grambling. Okay. And and that's that's actually how we looked like the Grambling band. So this is okay. High school. Okay. So yeah. what happened after high school? After high school, well, to get through high school, I was working for. I, I you know I really did idolize my my dad. You know, not before God or anything, but you right. know, right up there because he was a true man of God, and that was in the home at church as well as at work. Uh, and so you had a good role model. Oh yes, yes. 
he worked for General Motors, a division called Delco, Delco Products. Okay. And so I, you know, in my last couple of years of school, I went to what they called a joint vocational school and I studied mechanical drafting. And so during the summertime, I was able to get a job working for General Motors in their engineering department. And they, some kind of way, they gave me the keys to the office. <laughs> okay. I was the person that would go in there and turn on all the lights, turn on all the machines and get everything ready for the engineers when they came in. And we did, you know, lots of reproduction where I was in the reproduction area there. And they would give me little little bitty products, projects and everything to to change this line or that line or whatever, you know, mechanical drafting type of thing right. to what I was studying. Um, uh, you know, and, it, you know, I, it, the, the machines were gigantic and the and the, the drawings were gigantic as well, you know, which later became either automobiles or parts for automobiles and that sort of thing there. And so I went through that and fast forward to senior year, General Motors were, was offering me, you know, a very nice promotion and an actual position and, and a job okay. there, you know, in the, well, in the engineering department, you know, as a, I guess, an apprentice draftsman. Really. Right. And so okay. I, I thought about it because, well, here was the, the dilemma. At the same time, I had been testing and had uh, scored, you know, high enough to qualify for the Air Force. And so the Air Force, you know, came calling at the same time. So I had these two competing things there. And I think General Motors, they had a an education, you know, assistance program as well. But theirs wasn't as good as the Air Force. <laughs> okay. What was the difference? Oh, well, the Air Force, they paid 80%. In General Motors, I'm really not certain. You know, I, I'm I'm assuming that they had one. They were bringing bringing everything. The Air Force was bringing everything. They say, hey, we can do this for you, that, 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 and that. And they would pay eighty percent of your college expenses. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And so, and you know, you can see the world. Okay. And and that was appealing to me. You know, Dayton was okay, but and and you I wanted to see the world. Yeah, I had been a few places. I had been to, you know, D.C. Because in that position as a liaison for the Sunday school, they sent me places sometimes. You know, okay. I, I remember the first time I was ever homesick was going to D.C. and spending the night. I think we were at the Watergate Hotel. <laughs> Thank you. And, oh, I got homesick there, you know, but then I got used to being away from home. And so at any rate... Yeah, I chose the Air Force, and and it was I think it was a, a great choice. How, how long were you in the Air Force? For twelve years. Twelve years. That's a long time. Uh, what, what was your rank when you left? I was a staff sergeant. Staff sergeant. Okay. So I, I I never served in the military, but I was always told that the sergeants are the ones that run everything. Yeah, true? yeah, yeah. Uh, there are different levels, you know, of that. And I, in the civilian side, I would probably be uh, considered um, probably a second level because there was a, an actual, what they called a buck sergeant, which 
be more or less the 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 first level there. The, the staff sergeant could be that as well, depending on the corporate. So sergeants are basically the managers. They're the ones. Yeah, they're, that... they're, they're what's called non-commissioned officers. Right, the NCOs. Okay. Yes. And and I had a a crew, and this was initial. You know, this was just one thing that I did. That's after I started going up in rank there, and then other opportunities presented itself because I began to get introduced to technology. Okay. In fact, I believe I'm pretty sure that we were pioneers. We being the military were pioneers of the email system, and I was. The hospital was right there as well, but we had to have a good way of communicating between bases, you know, logistic type of things. And so that system was was created for us to log into a particular system and get certain information. And that evolved into just sending that information, you know, in what they call packets and that sort of thing. And and then that led on to other, you know, developments in technology and me getting involved with total quality management. Okay. Because and so for our viewers, tell tell them what total quality management is for the ones who don't know. Well, total quality management is a a philosophy of 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 how you approach and and manage quality. Instead of reinventing the wheel in all cases there, you would take what what is working and build upon that, improve on that in a continuous way, made famous by you know a number of different quality gurus, most notably Edward Deming. And, in the U.S., right. Yes, and, and his nemesis, Mr. Crosby, who was the zero defect guy, and we did more dimming. And so and this was this was a program that was embraced, you know, by the military. You know, the the, the Congress passed a lot of legislation, and we were directed to do things more efficiently. We didn't have to worry about budgets and revenue and things of that nature, but they didn't want us to waste things, time or resources or anything like that. So there was a big push for that. And at the time, I was in the right place at the right time, and they offered me the opportunity to teach and, and well, first to, to learn, you know, TQM, and then to teach the foundation course for it. So what, what did you learn from all of that? You'd sort of risen through the ranks. You're, you know, a higher level sergeant in the military, in the, in the Air Force, yeah. and you're learning total quality management. I might add that one of the ways that Jess and I intersect is that I learned total quality management, Toyota production system, and, and those, those types of issues on the hospital side, because the hospitals wanted to get more efficient. And a lot of that had to do with Lean Six Sigma, which basically is having no mistakes and no problems. And we in the hospital, the hospital management followed or follows or have followed the military in that regard, particularly the Air Force, because they figured out a way to keep the planes in the sky. Yes. And and um, so that was pretty close to what we were trying to do in hospitals to keep patients alive. 
And so the two, they had, there's a lot of overlap. That's what I'm trying to say. I agree. I, I, I totally agree with that. And 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 we'll speak a little bit about AT and T's and their Six Sigma. Right, that came into play there. So, so how how did you get to AT and T? Where where does AT and T come into all this? Well, after after the the the, the Air Force, it, it, my my life is is just like I said, it's just very very full. Had I had I filled out, and I will still do that, filled out that that interview form there, uh-huh. it it would have been difficult to try to pick and choose. Okay. Because uh, a lot there's a lot of intersection and a lot of overlap there, but you know after because we I was me and about forty thousand or so people were downsized out of the Air Force. We you can get downsized out of the Air yes. Force. Yes, as a matter of fact, I believe the name of the bill was Graham Rudman. They, they were. I remember the Graham Rudman bill. Yeah. And so they, uh, that bill, I believe it dictated specifically to the military that, I mean, we were already trying to be as efficient as possible. They wanted us to be even more efficient to the point that they started closing bases and and reducing the workforce. We were, I don't think we're in any, well, we were getting ready to get into the first desert storm and all of that. But that okay. it didn't seem to matter to them. And so they just started, you know, forcing people to do things there. And I and my particular, what they call AFSC, got called up in that. And, you know, so I was, you know, I've been a technician. I've been a training instructor. I've been a teacher. And my last position was that of an instructional systems designer. And, okay. and I'm getting to the, the AT&T part of it. Structural uh, system designer sounds like engineering to me. It, 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 it really isn't, but I guess it could be, but it really isn't. Because <laughs> basically what it was, we would get projects. It was a very small group of us. We would get projects. In fact, the building is still out there at Nor- oh, what used to be Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino, okay. which is now you know Amazon and Stater Brothers distribution centers and stuff like that. That building is still there. You know, I still see it. You know, uh, regularly. But anywho, we would get projects from various organizations, mostly maintenance organizations. And this goes to what you were talking about as far as efficiency. And we we were tasked with developing training plans for recertification and certification of Air Force personnel, maintenance personnel. And so we were given, you know, different assignments there. And we would develop a, a teaching outline. And from that teaching outline, we would develop a, a a shot list we would do both stills and video and we would go out whatever the subject matter was we would go out and film you know film clips images that w- would uh, that would go with the teaching outline there and then we would develop a script and then we would voice the script we would go into a studio and we would voice the script the the video and you know the regular still photos we developed ourselves. This was okay. <laughs> we 
would go into an actual dark room. I was trained to do that, go into a dark room and actually. So, you know, so this is in the military still? Yeah. The, yeah. This, okay. is, this is all in the, in the Air Force there. And uh, then we would put that together in a package. And then we would, then we had to validate that training program. And so we would bring in a study group. This usually took, you know, anywhere from 60, sometimes 90 days, depending on the complexity. And we would test, 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 test until we got a particular pass rate based on, you know, the, uh, the, the slide tape or the video that we produced. Okay. And then from that, it was packaged and then, you know, sent out to the organizations, you know, for, you know, for their training. And so you know, how did all of that get to AT&T? Because you had said that you've been, you've been 25 years at AT&T. That's. Yeah. And, and, and that also, that's a glimpse into the origins of, of the production skills, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, so after, you know, being honorably discharged from the from the Air Force, I, I had some time on my hands. <laughs> uh -huh. And so I had did some, well, not did some, I did a, a lot of studio work as a on-air personality and DJ at a radio station while stationed in Texas. Okay. K-A-Z-I. And in fact, we were instrumental in changing the sound of that of the of the city of the top forty radio stations okay. had, to, had to shift because we were we were we were moving the crowd as they say, and I had a you know a show from you know mid uh, started at uh, from like three to six a.m. in the morning and then I got to prime time twelve to three and so at any rate I did that without really any training not not formal training. So after I got out of the Air Force, I said, you know, I, I want to try going to broadcasting school. <laughs> it was kind of the okay. And so that's what I did. And it was a school so you went to broadcasting school? Yes. Uh, okay. On Huntington Beach. And after, well, after I graduated, that, you know, that's another story there. But while, the, well, in fact, after I graduated, they hired me on as a guidance counselor. And so, so I stayed at the school and counseled students. And there was this one gentleman that seemed to always have, was challenged with getting to class on time. And he came to class at night. And so, you know, I brought him into the office and asked him, you know, so, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, uh, how's everything in your, your your life and family? Is that any other blah, blah, blah. And I've noticed that, you know, you're always walking in, you know, the door a little bit late there, you know, what's going on with you? He says, well, it's kind of hard for me to get off from my, you know, from my job. I said, oh, okay. What type of job it is? And he explained what it was. And I said, well, well where do you work? And he said, well, I work for Pacific Bell. And I said, oh, okay. Pacific Bell. I said, all right. All right. Well, and so I gave him some, you know, some options and, you know, to try to help him him out and, you know, and I let the instructors know, you know, what was going on and, you know, everything, you know, was fine after that. But that kind of stuck in my head that, okay, you know, this job is rewarding and all, but it's not necessarily making the ends meet. It, it, it stuck in my head 
that he worked for, you know, a, a very large company with a chain of command, a little bit of a, a bureaucracy and that sort of thing. I said, hmm, that's similar to the military. And and I knew that I had had some skills, education, and and a desire to do more than what I was doing. Okay. Which was rewarding, but again, I, I felt I could do more. And so I looked them up, seen where their employment office was, and before they opened up, I was already at the door. <laughs> I'm that guy, you know, I'm, I'm usually early <laughs> to play. Okay. That's when I'm most comfortable and feeling most confident. And so they hired me on as an operator. Now, I I, and I think that they had some sort of veterans program as well. Okay. I'm, and I may have benefited from that, but I, 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 I'm not certain. But now, I believe- did you feel that your time in the military helped you educationally in terms of opening doors to... Oh, most, career opportunities and that sort most of thing. definitely, most definitely. Uh, however, you get it, preparation is is proper. You know, you you, you have to get some sort of preparation uh, formally. Formally, and in fact, as it relates to you know TQM, everything is is continuous. You know, you know as far as learning and everything goes, you don't ever stop learning. At least I don't. Right. But just to uh, wrap up that uh, the transition from the uh, military to then Pacific Bell was was as a result of that student, and he 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 piqued my 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 interest my interest, and and even at that time Pacific Bell was known as a technology type of company, although the quote unquote phone company, and I knew that or felt that uh, you get in there. Something that, excuse me, many people, including Reverend Collins and others, have said, you just get your foot in the door. Right. And then, you know, you can make a difference. I always felt that I can do things even before I knew how to do things. I would just, I would just do it. I would just, like I said, start with that question of what if this or that was this way or that way? And then I took the initiative to try to, you know, make that a reality and so you're willing to take a risk yes yeah yeah i mean uh, you know sometimes calculated many times just uh, a stepping out on faith not necessarily a leap of faith okay. uh, because that's perhaps foolhardy but actually you know being prepared in some way in other ways just having you know you know pure desire you know to do something well, oftentimes that's the quality of leadership that you have to, that everybody wants to do it. And many may want to do it, but many times only the leaders will try because right. there's always the risk of failure. There's always the risk of looking bad or whatever, whatever that fear is that one may individually have. But it sounds like that throughout your life, you've taken a lot of those risks or at least asked the question. I have. Know, what I have. if this and what if that type thing. And then on the flip side of that, I believe that other people ask that same question and then they have as part two of that question, who could we get to do that? Uh-huh. And depending on how you've positioned yourself, either intentionally or unintentionally, and the circles that you run in or people that you associate with, you know, you become known, your 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 product 
character and all of that precedes you. Right. When something comes up available, you know, you're one of the first people that they think of. I'm, at least in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking that's how it goes. No, that makes sense. That's called networking. Yeah. Because when I, when, when AT&T eventually purchased, well, we went through SBC and then, you right, know. When they broke up the, the, yeah. the big uh, communication systems. And then start bringing the bells back together again under AT&T again. Right. Uh, and I was promoted into management there. I managed, you know, in a number of different capacities. And looking back on some of that, I, you know, I know I had, you know, you know, some education and some qualifications and that sort of thing there. But some of the positions, I'm like, I don't know how it, how I got in there, you know, but uh, I had a number of mentors as well that, that saw some things in me apparently because they were the ones that were tapping me on the shoulder saying, Hey, okay. I think you would be good in this position here. And, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that, that, that's another requisite that you need, regardless of who you are or what area, you need help. We all need help. I clearly had a lot of people who helped me that I didn't know why or whatever. And I think uh, it's it's good to recognize that, that, that however good you are or good you think you are, whatever, you, we all need help. Yes, uh, and, and that that's what gets us to that next level. Or they write that good letter, or they give that good word of recommendation, et cetera, et cetera. That that we're connected in multiple ways. Well, what would you say would be the the top two or three things that you've learned, you know, to date, going through all of that through the you know your upbringing at home and you know high school, the things that you did through the military. What 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 are the top two or three things that stick out that 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 you've learned that sort of guides you now to date? Top two or three things would be just to you know never 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 give up you know to stay okay. f- stay focused stay stay focused you know that you have God on your side. I, I was all I was raised that way you know right. that when things get tough you just start praying you know. You okay. continue praying. You know, you, you try to always, as the saying goes, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you stay prayed up, then you're always in that frame of mind. It, you know, right, right. With, you know, the, the teaching of the Bible to always be in, in a prayerful, you know, always have the prayerful attitude. Pray okay. without ceasing. Okay. It's also translated to be. And so that as well as another scripture. And I've had it throughout my whole life, Romans 28. And that is that all things work together, you know, for good, for those who love God. Okay. According to, uh, according to your calling, you know, due to, to his purpose, which becomes your purpose. And, and I've always been about helping others. I've, I've always used that phrase. I can help you with that, or I can help with that, be, it, because it's always been in me, and I believe that is a result of you know the leadership of my my mother and my father. You know, okay. you know they always you know helped others, and others and, and a lot of people came to them. 
you know, I, that's what I saw a whole lot too. You know, my, my guy, my father was a wise guy, you know, and people would always come to him and he only had a seventh grade education, but he knew that Bible backwards and forwards. He was the director, what we call a training for service, which also called BTU back in the day. Uh And my mother, she was on the usher board, but my dad, he was, he was renowned and, and, and revered, you know, everywhere. And it used to tickle him as to, the heights that he's he was able to attain and he you know he gives it all to the lord and I, and that was my example and i've used that you know throughout my life it has it has helped me cuz i you know i've been through some some valleys and uh and and i feel sorry for those that don't have hope i i always have hope and it's based in you know scripture and and it has proven to be real for me. I've ha- had to test it in a number of cases there. And it's like, Lord, if you're not for real, I'm not here. <laughs> well, there's no question that I think your hope and your faith, which was established for you by your parents very, very early, and certainly have sustained you throughout your life in terms of being selected to be leaders or a, a leadership roles very, very young, whether in church or the other types of place, all the way through the Air Force, through AT&T. And I, I can honestly say there would be no Healthy, Wealth, and Wise podcast, but, but for your involvement, because you had the idea. And it's those ideas that basically take us to the next level. I, I know that you're a very, very busy person. I want to be respectful of your time. Are there any parting thoughts that you would like to leave with us before we let you go? Stay tuned for part two. <laughs> because, good. There's just, there's just so, so much. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking down because uh, I had jotted down a few things there and, and because, uh, as you might imagine, over a 25-year period career at AT&T, lots of stuff happened. No, 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 that's fine. My office, and this is along the lines of leadership as well, I, I was leading a, a group of what they called RAs, or, or which were basically people that received orders, and they redid the order in the system. They systems work. Right. <laughs> there. The recent chain management or maintenance area. At any rate, we received a call. It was urgent. President Reagan had died. And so they had to put together teams, you know, to get things ready up there. Where, where, where's the library at? I forget where, wherever the library was or eventually okay. was. Okay. So we th- there was a lot of orders. And, and the orders were just packets of, of information that... You had to build phone lines. You had to build conduits and all that, all, all electronically, to send out to the field for the the men and women to go out and and do the construction part of it to set up for this funeral. And we had okay. to unstack. Uh, well, I think that that's a that's an excellent cliffhanger to to leave it. Ah, <laughs> like I said, it can go one two. <laughs> What happened with what uh, within and and outside of AT and T when the president of the United States died? 
yeah. uh, what what was involved. And, and, really? and clearly, I'm sure you would have some insights that most of us would never know or would never have. Oh. But we want to thank you for your, your very precious time and thank you for being with us today. And we will um, be in touch and to, to develop part two yes. of our interview with Jesse L. Hammonds. For those of you who are watching, please remember that this is one of our many podcasts that we do approximately one podcast per week. And we ask, ask that you continue to follow us and become patrons. And with, as we always like to say, be the change that you want to see in the world. Thank you very, very much. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD. Be sure to check out other great episodes covering areas of health, wealth, and wisdom at thwwp.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the books, blogs, and other literature in your preferred format. And don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, share, and support the podcast. That's at thwp.com www.p.com. You've been listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD.